This is the recording made in the chapel of the open book at the dinner hour meeting and is still a part of the study by the all-covering title, The Finished Work of Christ. We have been looking at the Acts of the Apostles. I think you all agree with me that there is no possibility of the work of God, the purpose of God, ever reaching its goal apart from the finished work of Christ if the Bible is to be trusted. Uh, but the making of it known has been entrusted right down the ages to men who have been lifted out and given messages by inspiration of God, whether it by prophet or by priest or by apostle or by evangelist or by teacher. And so we must be, for the moment, confined in these studies to the developing of ministry which we find in the Acts of the Apostles. I remind you, without turning to chapter and verse because of our time, that Peter is the dominant factor in the first few chapters of the Acts of the Apostles. Somewhere around about the twelfth chapter he begins to disappear. He appears on the scene for just a brief moment in Acts 15 and then is heard no more throughout the Acts of the Apostles. But he stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it gives you the key to Pentecost, which has nothing to do with the church as we know it, but the great and dreadful day of the Lord, that if Israel had only repented, that day would have come. But you know, they did not repent. And so time goes on. And then we come to the ninth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, and another man is brought into the story. Saul of Tarsus, a rabid Pharisee. And yet he was brought down on that road and confessed that Jesus of Nazareth, whom he was persecuting, was his Lord. Well, then we were looking last time at Acts 13, where the Spirit of God said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, unto the work to which I have called them. And here we get the beginning of Paul's public ministry. The 13th chapter of the Acts, the Paul's public ministry. And last time, we were noticing that both of these ministries was accompanied by a miracle, which was not merely a miracle in itself, but because it was a sign. Peter's miracle was the healing of a man who was lame. And when they questioned him, he said, Neither is there the healing or salvation, because the word salvation and healing are similar terms. Neither is there the healing of the nation in any other. But when you come to Paul's significant sign in Acts 13, instead of Israel being healed as that prophecy or that parable in the action under Peter, we find a Jew who is withstanding a Gentile and he is blinded for a season. And the Gentile's name is Paul and for the first time Paul is so named in the scriptures linking him with a Gentile. Well, now I mustn't go further with that. I must leave that for you to ponder. And now we have to remember that if Paul comes into the story at Acts 13 and is the dominating factor as an apostle right through to the end, he nevertheless has a two-fold ministry. He had a ministry while he was a free man, travelling about from place to place. And in that period of time, he wrote, as far as we can gauge, seven epistles. I'll give them to you, but you need not take note for the time we should have to look at them again. Galatians, 
Thessalonians, Corinthians, Romans and Hebrews. Then comes a break. And he ceases to be a free man travelling about and he signs himself afterwards the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. And there were seven more epistles that were written, five of them bearing the word prison upon them. So you see, we have before us now the consideration of the fact that this man had a twofold ministry. And if we are in the wrong department, we shall start taking things to ourselves that were true at the time, but may not be true now. And we shall also miss some things that belong to us, because you cannot live in two camps at once. Well now, I want you to turn straight away with me to Acts 20. I'm jumping a great deal, of course, uh, but we cannot possibly uh, go into every detail. Acts 20. The apostle has called the elders of the church at Ephesus, if you look at verse 17 onwards, to meet him at the sea coast, because he was pressing on his way to get to Jerusalem. And then he starts speaking to them in a tone that is significant. He says in verse 28, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward, also to the Greeks, repentance toward God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Well now, any congregation listening to their minister standing up in the pulpit and reviewing a past ministry and what sort of man he'd been, would immediately become conscious that he was about to give them a statement that perhaps means he was going to leave. Well, that's exactly what the apostle was about to do. So the next verse, And now, here's the change. Behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesses at every city saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Bonds, the word indicates prison. Afflictions, all the many severe things that are accompanied by it. Glimpse with you at chapter 21. A certain prophet came down, and it says in verse 11, And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle, and bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So it's most obvious. A prison ministry was waiting Paul, and he was ready for it. Come back to chapter 20. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit. At that moment he had no shackles on his wrists, but he was already in spirit, a prisoner. He never called himself the, spirit, the prisoner of Nero, or of the failure of Roman justice. He never called himself the prisoner of Jewish spite. He was the prisoner of the Lord. And so he says here, I don't know what things are going to be for me except this in verse 23 that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city saying that bonds and afflictions are awaiting me. But none of these things move me. Neither count on my life dear unto myself. That's one of the reasons why they didn't move him. 
He wasn't thinking of himself. The one thing he had in front of him was this, so that I might finish my course with joy, and repeat the word finish, and finish the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, not merely to preach the gospel, but to testify it. And when you know that this word testify and bear witness <coughs> gives us our English word martyr, you'll see that it's a deep word. He was not merely going to speak. He was going to live and if needs be suffer and finally die. But nothing moved him. Now he had a wish here that he might finish his course. Shall we turn to the last letter he wrote, 2 Timothy chapter 4, just to get the beginning and the end, that's all we can do today, but it's a wonderful point. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the last letter that Paul wrote before his death, and therefore is a solemnness about it. And so he says, verse 5 of chapter 4, but watch thou in all things, he's giving a commission to his son Timothy, who was to succeed him. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, it looks as though doing the work of an evangelist was connected with afflictions, because he speaks about it earlier. Make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered. Offered. In Philippians he said, Yea, if I be offered, Upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice. Now, there's no confusion there with the offering of Christ. That's nothing to do with it. The word in the Old Testament that is used here was the word that described a little ceremony, a person bringing a sacrifice to the altar. It was offered by the priest, was permitted by God to have just a little share in it. He could pour out over it a flagon or a, a, a flask of wine. It was called a drink offering. It didn't make the sacrifice more acceptable to God, but it gave the offerer just a little opportunity of saying, Thanks, Lord. Paul says that's all I'm doing, but I'm being poured out as a drink offering over the great sacrifice of Christ. He said, Now, I'm ready to be offered. You see, it was one thing to say I'm willing to be offered in Philippians, and another thing now to say it's come and I'm ready. And the time of my departure is at hand. That's another link with Philippians. For in Philippians 1 he said, If I were left to myself, I've been there such a battering about, I would choose to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. He said, The time for my departure has come. So two things he said in the early part of his ministry are now focusing here at the end. I have fought a good fight. This is not a military term. It's the contest the Greek games, the wrestling, the racing, the running, the discipline that he uses so many times to urge others to stay the course. I have finished my course. It's interesting perhaps to know that this word finish in the Greek language supplies us with that universal word tele. It's nothing of course to do with pictures or listening to sounds. The word tele uh, in its beginning means to go to the end. And a telephone is speaking at a distance. And a telegram is writing at a distance. And a telescope is looking at a distance. And he says, I've touched the tape at the end. I've finished my course. It's a marvellous thought, isn't it, to think that our covering title is the finished work of Christ. 
And here is one of his servants who is echoing the very words that Christ used on the cross. For Christ said, it is finished. John says he came, he said, my meat and my drink is to do the work of him that sent me and to finish. So here's his servant following him closely saying, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, henceforth that is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Well now will you turn back just to chapter 1 and you will see that this is one of the prison epistles. Chapter 1 verse 8 Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So he is the Lord's prisoner and he has a testimony to give. But now we must go back because we haven't reached that point in the Acts of the Apostles. What we must now do is this, that in this part, this first part, he is laying a foundation, as he says in Corinthians, as a wise master builder I have laid a foundation. And whether Israel repented and the kingdom was set up, or whether they didn't and the kingdom was postponed, that foundation remains unaltered. The great foundation that is laid, particularly in the epistle to the Romans, is as true today as when it was first uttered. Justification by faith, redemption by the blood of Christ, the great atoning work, the reconciliation brought about, peace with God, access into his presence, that's a finished thing. Now then, if Israel repents, that's a glorious basis on which that kingdom shall be a kingdom of righteousness indeed. But if they do not repent, then God had a secret purpose, which is called, in our version, the mystery. It's rather a pity it's called the mystery because it sounds a bit mysterious, but it means a secret purpose. And when apparently the whole purpose of the ages was being ruined by the failure of Israel, who are now at this present moment in unbelief and blindness, then God revealed to that prisoner of his something which had never entered the pages of Scripture before. And the teaching of the prison ministry belongs to you and to me at this present moment. You see, in the earlier epistles of Paul, he preached the gospel to the Jew first. And some people feel they must do that today. But the Jew isn't first today. He can believe the gospel if he will as a sinner, but he has no preference over a Gentile today, not in the sense that they did in the early days. Well, our time's up. I've got a desperate job in these meetings to pack it in, and you sit very, very calmly, and I hope you take it in, turn it over, search and see like good Bereans, Come up for some more next time so that little by little we may build up this. So, you see what's in front of us now. Having suggested, that's all I've done, that there is a twofold ministry of Christ, of Paul, I want now to go into that ministry with the early epistles and show the basis there, and then as time goes on, go into the later epistles and show the glorious thing that's built upon it. But please remember, you're not going to lose anything. You're going to gain infinitely more by seeing your calling and all the blessings that God has designed for you, rather than live in a fool's paradise and take the promises made to Israel, which were never going to be turned over to you, and so not know whether you're going to be the meek that should inherit the earth because of the Sermon on the Mount, or whether you're going to heaven or what not, you see. Don't let's be distracted. Let's believe that God is working out his purpose, and each link in the chain should be considered separately.